so um, I'd like to talk today about the idea of following our likes and dislikes and what happens um, when we do or we don't. It, it's based on one of the things Venerable Ahengsako said, Ajahn Ahengsako said yesterday, where he was talking to people at tea time and he said, don't be dependent upon your likes and dislikes upon your the things that you like and it's really if we really think about it you know we read in the suttas about following sensual pleasures and indulging in sensual pleasures but in a way we could think about it as just you know having what we like and avoiding what we don't like and there's a sutta in the Anguttara Nikaya, the numer numerical discourses. In the book of fours, it's the fifth one. It, it talks about four kinds of people. You know how it is. There are many suttas in the books of book of fours that <laughs> talk about four kinds of people. And the way the Buddha um, would, would kind of divide, um, you know, all persons up in different from different perspectives is interesting because we can like where do i fit you know which of these four groups um is where i am currently and which group do i really want to be in <laughs> and the first one he talks about is um those who who flow with the stream and I'm sure you've heard this metaphor or this simile before, um, this idea of going with the stream or going against the stream. And the, the ones, that first group that goes with the stream, he defines in this case as those who um, indulge in sensual pleasures and do bad things. And of course, in the Buddha's, language, bad things are things that result in um, painful, um, undesirable results, outcomes. And so it's, it's like the morality of the Dhamma isn't some isn't brought about by someone's idea of what's appropriate or inappropriate. It's, it's brought about by the consequences of the action. And of course, if it harms us or it harms someone else, it's an immoral act. And we, and we can think about uh, the way that we, when they talk about indulging in sensual pleasures, well, isn't that really just doing what we like or having what we like? experiencing what we like without regard to the karmic results or the, the harm that it may cause to ourselves or to others. And the second group of people are the ones who go against the stream, the ones who do not indulge in sensual pleasures and do bad things. <laughs> and they're, um, they're, really, you know, doing the things, you know, it can be a lot of things that we like. It doesn't have to be 
I mean, there are still there are still um, sense experiences. I'm just going to look up the sutta here a second. I want to make sure. I'm... Yeah, one who goes against the stream is one who does not indulge, indulge in sensual pleasures or perform bad deeds, even with pain and dejection, weeping with a tearful face. This one lives the complete and purified spiritual life. A person who goes against the stream. So even if we don't like it, um, we we do it. And this is the, I think it, it's helpful to really think about this in, in the, the terms of our daily life. You know, I would imagine none of us are really doing very bad things. We're probably following the five precepts as much as we can. And, you know, we're, we're probably, um, you know, caring about not harming other people and other living beings. But we still might, you know, have trouble when we like and dislike things. Uh, and, and are we really looking at the long-term results to following the, the things we like? Um, and, and recognizing that we can uh, become dependent on those things. So like uh, Ajahn Ahimsako is saying, don't be dependent on these things we like, or at least noticing our dependency on them. You know, it's not like we have to be denying ourselves. It's not like we uh, should avoid something because we like it, and we shouldn't avoid something because we dislike it. We should avoid it based on its outcome, its results. That's really what is meant by apamado, heedfulness. And, you know, to, to see, you know, a bit down the road, how's this going to turn out? Where does this lead? And sometimes we can't really tell with certain more complicated things. But we, we can take a step in that direction and then check it. How's this, how's this going? <laughs> and then, you know, it's, it's, um, it's that kind of careful, heedful, mindful, wise decision-making that helps us to live a happier life. Even if we... Um, need to avoid certain things we like and maybe even with a tearful face <laughs> sometimes the the long-term benefit is worth it for sure the other two persons people in this sutta groups i guess we should say are a bit um we might feel a bit lofty the third one is the group of people who have um, dropped the first five of the ten fetters so they're they've they've realized stream entry and um 
once returning, they've passed that point, they're now non-returners. So they realize there's uh, nothing in the five aggregates that could be considered self, that there's uh, no adherence to rites and rituals for the sake of come up, somehow being saved through that. And there's no doubt in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha or the training. Uh, and there's uh, no more ill will or um, sensual desire. Can you imagine being without <laughs> ill will, aversion, sensual desire? Um, but that is so totally possible in your lifetime. And that's something that's important for us to take in. It has a lot to do with those first two categories of whether or not we're going to follow what we like and avoid what we dislike based on that alone, rather than what, um, what the results are. And if you think of that, that this does this really cover all people? That's kind of an interesting question that I ask myself when I see the Buddha say there are these four kinds of people. Does this really cover all of the ways of living in the world? Either you're a, a non-returner or an arahant, or you're following your likes and dislikes or not. <laughs> well, <laughs> hmm. <laughs> well, something worth maybe reflecting on a little bit. And, and how interesting it is that those are, are categorized all together in this, in this one teaching. That, you know, this, it, what seems pretty simple based on our own choices to do what we like when it's good for us and for everyone around us and avoid what we like when it's not and do what we dislike when it's good for us and everyone around us and avoid it when it's not. And it's, it's really, um, it really in some ways is a kind of maturity to think in this way. It's a kind of, spiritual and, and human maturity. And of course, a lot of people who don't know anything about the Buddha's teachings practice this. You know, I've, I've known about women who don't eat the small amount of food that they have and they give it all to their children. And we've, we've, we know many stories of self-sacrifice and, and also just personally, we've all given up things that we like for our own long-term benefit or for the benefit of the people around us. We've all made compromises that have been good for the group that we live in, the family we live in. And that would that deny something we really do enjoy. But we want that, that bigger enjoyment. 
And so we can do this for the spiritual path too. Recognizing that sometimes frustrating my desires is a really good training, as long as it's not also causing harm. And to really see, you know, what is it that I can do without? What do I really need to be healthy and content? And, and where does contentment come from? You know, how, how do I cultivate contentment even when I don't have what I want? And then it's, it's, as I look at this sutta and I think, okay, we start with making choices about whether or not we do what we like or we, or we do what we dislike. <clears throat> based on a, a higher standard rather than just my inclinations or my habits. And then how that leads into becoming a non-returner. Because it, it follows, right? Eventually, the aversion and the desire go away. Simple, hard to do, <laughs> or is it? How hard is it? Is it that hard? If you think about the real goal, being free from being dragged around by our desires and our fears and our aversions. I mean, that seems like a worthwhile development. <laughs> So when we practice setting aside doing something that we like because we know it's better for us, it's better for the people around us, then how do we do it? If it's a deeply ingrained habit or something the physical body has become dependent upon, it takes some effort and real commitment. And this, this practice is, you know, oftentimes in, the, in, in our little world of Buddhist practice called renunciation, which I always like to think of as trading up. For this very reason, it's because we're renouncing something that actually causes harm or at least doesn't do me that much good or is a really good thing, even if it's sort of neutral. It's something I don't need for physical health or mental health, but it's something that I can test myself to let go of. If I'm only doing it because I like it, can I see what it's like if I frustrate that desire a bit? wearing it away so that eventually I don't have to be pulled around by desire at all. And then, you know, if it's something that is 
deeply embedded, we want to take a short period of time where we're going to resist it. And when we do, sometimes the feeling can get very, very strong. That, that desire to have it can get very, very strong. And this can be anything. This can be a, a speech pattern, a way of talking. It can be a way of thinking. It can be a way of, of behaving in the world. It can be some substance we ingest or you know, anything. Um, and it, and, but it's something that we like, that we get some kind of positive feeling from, something we desire, but something that is either not good for us or others, or at least not, um, it could be something that's more neutral, but still a habit. And I want to be, we want to be conscious of our habits and make decisions about what we do rather than working on automatic pilot, at least for many, many things, because that's how the mind gets trained. And then we decide we're going to do without it, maybe even for just a couple of hours or a half a day or a day or a week, whatever is appropriate to the actual specific conditions. And then we stay present with the longing, the desire, and the, the suffering that comes from frustrating that desire. And is feeling, that feeling. We stay present with the feeling and identify you know, where it presents itself in the body. Many of you know this routine very well, but how often do we do it? So staying present with the feeling and how strong it can get and observing it with mindfulness. We can ask questions about the feeling itself. It's not about the trigger. It's not about the liked or disliked thing so much. We don't make as much headway that way. We make more progress by observing that desire to have it or to do it or to say it um, and, and being present with how strong that feeling can get. And then watching it fade recognizing that it can't last on its own. It's dependent on something else. And sometimes we, we kind of dig under the covers and see what it's dependent upon. And sometimes a realization hits that shows us where this desire actually is rooted. And this is how we work with it. And then if we get through that period of time, feeling the results of what it's like to not having, um, I'll say indulged in that sensual pleasure or that particular behavior, what does it feel like? Sometimes there's an incredible relief that the period of time is over and you can go back to it. And then it's good to notice that. Sometimes there's an incredible relief and you still don't go back to it. You don't 
start it again, but you've gotten through the period of where you've denied it entirely. And somehow even that is such a relief. So there are many different kinds of things that can happen with this process, but you have your period, you have your thing you're going to, you're going to avoid. You have your period of time. You use mindfulness with, with great um, consistency and you stay present with whatever feelings arrive. And when those waves pass, you're not as controlled by that urge anymore. It's a little less powerful. And then you do that as many times as it takes to be completely in control over your own impulses. When the Buddha said that a mind that's trained is one of is one of the most valuable things. Maybe he said the most valuable. And a mind that is untrained is the most dangerous. So this is one of the aspects of training the mind and, and releasing the heart. You know, so that we really don't have to be subject to or dependent upon our likes and dislikes. And we can endure being with what we dislike. It's another side of it. We can be mindfully present with that. Can I be with what I dislike? And we can use simple things to start. It's good to start with small things that are not so difficult. But sometimes, sometimes we find ourselves starting this practice with something huge that just has to be dealt with. And that's also helpful if we can do it. So I think we'll meditate and then I really wanna hear your questions about this. Um, process. And many of you know this practice very well. So I'd love to hear some experiences later. Don't think about that during meditation. <laughs> I'll give you something else to think about. <laughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.